Tonight's Game of Thrones Season 7 finale recap is sponsored by Plated.com. Anybody who knows me knows I do take my food and my planning of meals very seriously. And Plated.com is great for that because they are for people who love food. Each week they've got 15 chef design recipes to choose from. This past week we had, in addition to uh, some steak gyros, we also had some delicious sesame chicken over snow peas. I was going to call them John Snow Peas, but I think that I might need to call them Aegon Targaryen Peas uh, with the sesame chicken, which was fantastic. And uh, my wife and I were able to prepare them together, which is the best part of being able to get some plated. Uh, you can travel the world from your kitchen. Plated's recipes are inspired by cuisines from all around the globe, like Malaysian fish curry and lamb shakshuka from Morocco. They do all the grocery shopping for you, saving you time and sending you the exact quantity of the ingredients that you need. They even source out their own quality ingredients like artisanal mayo in its own jar. It's the best way to spend time with your friends and family cooking together and then eating a delicious meal from Plated. And if you got a sweet tooth, they even offer dessert options like no churn coffee ice cream and cinnamon rolls. So discover your ideal dinner experience. Go to Plated dot com slash post get 50 percent off your first plated box that's 50 percent off for a limited time only terms apply see plated.com slash post for details that's at plated.com slash post Game of Thrones Season 7 is now over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones live post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are about to combine their forces for real. No trickery here. I'm Rob Sestrina here with Stephen Fishback. Stephen, how are you? How's your finale night? Oh, it's good. You know, I'm, I say I'll podcast with you, Rob, but ultimately uh, I, I may just not podcast. I may just not show up as the podcast goes down. Yes. Well, don't betray me. I would say that we're going to be uh, balls to the wall, but that is uh, not the case anymore here tonight. As uh, we are talking about a supersized season seven finale and a lot to get through. A lot really coming together in the last couple of minutes, especially. I felt like it was a a bit of a slow go through most of the night. And then uh, really we had a lot fired at us in the uh, last 15 minutes. And no, I'm I'm not talking about zombie dragon fire coming at us. But a lot going on. Of course, we're going to take your questions here on our Facebook live page. So go ahead and post those as uh, we go along. All right, Stephen Fishback. Uh, first off, how are you doing? You're all right. I'm good. I'm I, I'm really good because you know it's so rare in Game of Thrones to get something right. Last week you said call your shot. I said the wall is coming down, and uh, down it came. All right. Well, you called your shot there and uh, we are going to get into everything here tonight, of course. Also, let me just set up. I will be with Josh Wiggler uh, sometime tomorrow to do our Game of Thrones deep dive. So uh, looking forward to hearing what he comes up with. I'm sure he will have about a million articles coming out in the next 24 hours on The Hollywood Reporter. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Round Howard. And then uh, we'll get into our season seven feedback show. But I guess let's start with our top story at this hour. Uh, Stephen Fishback, uh, The Wall which has been a fixture for 
thousands of years, uh, is now down. And uh, there is but no defense protecting the living from the Night King and his forces. Yes. And in fact, uh, yeah, they crossed over. The Whites and the and the White Walkers crossed over into the north. So uh, not only is the wall down, but their forces are actually moving southward. Um, were you surprised by So we, we speculated, or maybe you, you know, people have speculated about what is coming out of that undead dragon's mouth. Is it going to be fire? Is it going to be frost? What was it, Rob? Because, it, you know, it, it was cutting down the wall pretty well. Yeah, so, Stephen, have you ever done, like, catering where you have a one of those sterno trays where you have the, like, uh, the blue flame underneath that? Uh, it feels like, to me, oh. that was like a blue flame, blue flame. Uh, even hotter flame. than a red flame. Yeah, the hottest flame of all. The hottest flame of all, the blue flame. It didn't seem like he was shooting more ice at the wall. That would feel like it would only fortify it more unless you could sort of uh, make it even icier and then shatter it, make it more brittle. That's not what they did. They shot it with blue fire. It seemed to melt. And I guess, can we say at this hour also... R.I.P. Tormund Giants Bane and also uh, R.I.P. Beric Dondarrion. Did we? I, I mean, I can still see them coming out of the rubble. We didn't really. Do we see them die? I mean, I we may didn't have just see them so, die, but yeah. stop it. Where yeah. they fall? They fell off the wall and landed in the snow and they were fine. I think they took the stairs. They were, were there stairs? The stairs. No. <laughs> they're, the, they're at, this is Eastwatch, right? That this is happening at. We, we don't know the layout of Eastwatch. Yeah, I really I don't know exactly uh, what was going on. I would presume it was still at East Watch uh, because that's where they were. Uh, the, we're. We're getting messages that uh, they they were not, not dead. dead. Oh my god, they they survived the fall off the top of the wall. I think you'd at least get a shot of their bodies in some capacity if uh, if they were dead. I think at least. I mean, you know, you don't bring Beric Dondarrion back just to sort of disappear in a halo of ice. Uh, and I, yeah, I certainly can't be Tormund's okay. big exit, just like disappearing. So I think I'm I'm saying they're both there for sure. Yeah, getting a lot of pushback in the chat. People saying that no, they can't be dead. They have to have uh, lived through the dragon fire attack. So Night King ends up coming along. Uh, Stephen, we also had a big, I guess, revelation. I mean, it was basically laid out for us a bit of brand splaining going on to. Uh, really <laughs> shine a light on the fact that um, Jon Snow is, in fact, a legitimate Targaryen, not a bastard. He is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Lyanna Stark. And uh, now Bran and Sam know the truth that he can, in fact, sit on the Iron Throne. Yeah, great little fake out there from the writers. His name's not Snow. It's Sand. Uh, no, no, no! You're wrong about that. You're wrong about that. Great little, uh, little fake out from the writers about uh, John's true name. Um, I guess everyone who's been watching the show and probably listening to podcasts and reading about the show it was aware of this. This is kind of just the information to make sure literally everyone in the audience is on the exact same page. In D and D's uh, talkback thing, they kind of they said, you know, we we had to relay this information, and we so we said it against this scene with Danny and John, so that you know to keep the the tension high. You know, uh, this is classic Game of Thrones exposition. Um, yeah, so it's so it's sad, you know, kind of weird to get this information as we see incest happening. Yeah. 
Steven, I have to say I didn't love the way that the show handled this reveal. First off, Sam seemed to sort of not even bat an eye at it when Gilly brought it up that he was complaining about, oh, the maesters aren't listening to me. And she mentioned this thing. He didn't even say, hold on a second. What did you say? Ragar. No, there's no Ragar. You mean Rhaegar? This was a secret thing? I mean, I guess Sam may have reread this diary on the long ride to Winterfell. Not much to do there so it's possible that he then doubled back and got this information but as the three-eyed raven Stephen, as bran likes to point out he's not bran he's the three-eyed raven he sees everything he knows everything feels like this was a pretty big blind spot in <laughs> bran's uh all-knowingness not I mean, the all-knowingest know-it-all he can, he can see everything. He just doesn't necessarily, you know, and it's like, you know, and Sam said, oh, go to that page in the book. He's, he like flipped back and was like, oh, yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, that is that is there. He looked in the index under like real name Jon Snow, came up with, oh, yes, they were married. So I, I, I think they kind of explained the Sam Gilly thing where Sam says, oh, I translated this book previously. I guess the explanation would be, Sam had translated this book. He gave it to Gilly to read. Gilly was reading a book that Sam had already translated from its original nonsense. Um, And then, so he wasn't paying attention then, but he was aware of all this information. But Stephen, how does he only now stumble and sort of look back and say, hold on. Okay. Processing, processing, processing. Oh, the war of the five Kings was based on a whole lie. I didn't even realize that. Oh, Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, because you're absolutely right. Like, even if, um, you know, regardless of all the Jon Snow relation, just knowing that Rhaegar and Lyanna were legally married, uh, you know, Sam should have realized that the War of the Five Kings was based on that. This was huge information to be, you know, especially, again, to be sandwiched in there with a number of uh, steps. Yeah, and I see that we're he- hearing from people. Uh, here's uh, Jeff H. says, uh, Bran has access to the entire internet. He needs to know what to Google. But That's a great does, metaphor. doesn't he have enough information to know that why did Lyanna want Ned to promise her to take care of this baby. You know, he he it seems like, oh, this is a revelation. Oh my god. Lyanna Stark was in love with uh with, with Rhaegar Targaryen. This is uh huge news. This wasn't a marriage, this wasn't a kidnapping. They were they were in love. And I mean, he it seems like that that he would know that, no? Well, yeah, especially because, like, comically, the last part of that, right, is him seeing Lyanna Stark as she's giving, you know, the, this baby away, say his name is Aegon uh, Targaryen uh, to Ned. You know, this is the first scene, right? Isn't this, like, the continuation of that first scene that he saw at the Tower of Joy to begin with? It's like, Bran has seen this scene in so many increments. Just watch it all the way through once. You know, he keeps on, like, hitting pause at, like, crucial moments. So it's not like this scene he hasn't seen before. He, Bran has, like, seen uh, parts of this scene. You know, certainly that last shot of... Uh, of baby John, which faded to uh, a full growing John, you know, Bran had seen. And this was just like moments later. Yeah. And Stephen, can Bran see the future or only the present and the past? Um, 
it sounds like only the present and the past, right? Like he he kind of laid it out. I can so see what's happening. So he's not aware of what's happening. going on at the wall with the Night King having the zombie dragon. Well, we did see a bunch of uh, the ravens flying there. So he may be aware, you know, synchronously, but he wouldn't have uh, foresight about that. Yeah, because he does not seem to be informing anybody at Winterfell about the now, you know, even more dangerous threat coming their way of the Night King being in possession of a dragon. Well, um, you know, maybe his his attention has been elsewhere. You know, he's been involved in this this uh, Arya Sansa plot. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll get we'll get to that. Uh, also, at this hour, Jon Snow and Daenerys Targaryen are together. And Stephen, a lot has been made these last couple of weeks about Daenerys Targaryen can't have babies. It is known. And I myself said, like, but how does she know? How does she know? And and people told me, uh, Rob, uh, a witch told her you can't have babies anymore. And Jon Snow had the same exact response. Like, maybe this isn't the most reliable source. Is there any chance Daenerys doesn't become pregnant with a baby, Stephen? <laughs> I guess it's like, you know, that scene certainly seemed to suggest, hey, maybe in this universe, at least the show universe, if not the book universe, Daenerys will be able to have babies. I actually was kind of disappointed in that. You know, I liked this narrative of like Daenerys could, you know, sacrificed her ability to have human babies as a result this trade-off she got uh real babies uh, i'm sorry uh, she got the dragon babies um and it, to me it was sort of like uh, you know this is nice game of thrones right that that's kind of what the D in this season has been sort of criticized for is being like nice game of thrones oh remember that rule about daenerys not being able to have babies yeah sure actually she can't have babies by the way ned stark is still alive you know he was just playing <laughs> rob, rob is with he him just this mostly dead yeah, yeah yeah exactly so uh, i mean it does seem like we're going uh that direction with uh, John and Danny, uh, don't call her that, Daenerys, Stephen. But I did feel like that there was something odd with the way that that scene was shown to us. It looked like we were seeing uh, John and Daenerys from Tyrion's POV. And Tyrion yeah. seemed disappointed that that was going on. He wasn't like, oh, isn't that adorable? Those lovebirds, you know, that that's what the heart wants, what the heart wants. Tyrion looked upset about what was going on. Did you get that same read? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was kind of like lingering at the door and looking you know, down and shuffling his feet. I also could not quite make uh, of that. What I, I mean, maybe he's concerned about his own influence. You know, he's Daenerys's hand. He obviously values that role. He's, you know, that scene when when Danny was saying, you know, thank God you're not a hero. Tyrion was a little bit jealous or maybe a little bit slighted by that. Um, you know, here again this week, uh, Euron kind of insults him for being a dwarf. So maybe he just feels, you know, shunted to the side. But I, I, I'm not sure if I'm uh, what did you think of what the rationale was for that? No, I don't get it. I mean, the only thing I could think of is does Tyrion feel like, well, if Jon Snow is with Daenerys, then he won't want me to be hand of the queen. He'll push for his own people if they're ruling together. I don't have any sway or influence over Jon Snow, but I think that that's going to be something interesting to uh, speculate about. Uh, Stephen, another major, major headline tonight. I am very disappointed and upset to say that Littlefinger is dead, presumably, 
presumably. Yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's a real death. I think that's the, a real uh, death, barring think, any sort of little finger stone heart action going on. <laughs> little finger is dead, and Stephen, I have a lot of unanswered questions about how we got to this point. Yeah, I mean, it really, I know that you're, I'd be mean, a big little finger partisan. I have been a big little finger partisan, uh, maybe until this season. And, and it sure seems like a downer that his end just comes about from sort of lurking in the shadows at Winterfell for a season, basically accomplishing nothing, then getting stabbed in the throat. Yeah, we had been hearing about Littlefinger's big plan, Chaos is a Ladder. We were expecting this uh, master stroke to unfold. And as Antonio Mazzaro has speculated for a long time, what master plan? There's uh, the emperor has no clothes. Littlefinger had no move after this. It seemed like that he had sort of these visions of sitting on the Iron Throne and then sort of just like fell into like puppy dog love with Sansa. I don't know what he was ultimately planning, where it seemed like he was trying to get Sansa to undermine John and ultimately Arya, where he goes from there as sort of. I guess with Sansa in the North, but I don't, I get, I don't know how he was ultimately going to pivot to making a bigger move from there. And we've had this storyline really since Arya has returned to Winterfell of Sansa versus Arya. Going back to last week, Stephen, Arya and Sansa have a confrontation with each other with that Valerian steel dagger. Nobody else is in the room. Was this all theater along the way? Or did Arya and Sansa have some sort of a conversation off screen in which they figured everything out, hashed it out, and decided to turn on little things? And if that is the case, how do we not see that on the show? Yeah, I mean, I, I I agree. I think it's that scene specifically makes it a little bit difficult to stomach exactly, you know, this this twist. Up until that point, you know, you, a lot of these, basically, uh, I think almost all these conflicts between Arya and Sansa had, you know, had involved Littlefinger in some way, either as the person leading Arya around or as the person counseling Sansa. You know, he had been an observer for a lot of these scenes. If they had even just shown Littlefinger observing that very frightening and creepy conflict between Arya and Sansa last week. You know, there were a couple of big arguments between the two of them. And then you're right. This week, it it suggests, right, the fact they're both on the same page. It is theater. And it doesn't bother me. It doesn't really bother me that we didn't see them being like, oh, you know what? Let's actually get him because I did like the surprise moment. I, I liked that little turnabout. I didn't need that extra scene. I can kind of imply that. But uh, it was maybe a little bit too fast. I just don't know how the conflict escalated so quickly to the point where they in on it the whole time at what point were like was it working and then what ultimately happened i see some thoughts uh here in the chat lore says i i like brand stepping in did brand get them together and it was like guys 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 come on let me let me explain what's going on here little finger is doing all of this you know you had Chekhov's valerian steel dagger throughout the whole season and i'm not sure if we end up getting any sort of uh closure in terms of who sent that cat's paw uh, with the dagger to assassinate Bran back in the first season. If this is sort of evidence that it was Littlefinger who did, it was his dagger that ultimately, I mean, if is, is that the smoking dagger? 
<laughs> I think that's it. That's the smoking dagger. I mean, it sure. See, I mean, it really does seem like Bran had all this information. You know, the three of them are so on the same page in that scene that you do have to assume that there was some conversation that we just didn't see. It's like, you know, it's like the last uh, part of, you know, it's like the last part of a Survivor episode. The whole alliance votes the same way. You don't see that scene where they're all agreeing to vote that way because that would steal the drama, right, of that epic blindside and that uh, epic uh, metaphorical dagger in the throat. In that case, literal dagger in the throat. In this case, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. Like, Bran finally speaking up. That was nice. You know, like, way to, like, contribute here, Bran. Finally. I mean, uh, eventually, you know, we really let it go to a very far place before we stepped in and had that conversation, that uh, intervention. Stephen, I hate what they did to Littlefinger. I really felt like that yeah. he was probably one of uh, the most fascinating characters on the show through at least the first three or four seasons. And then I just don't know if they knew where to go with him. I'm interested to find out if book Littlefinger ultimately uh, gets some more explanation about what he's thinking. But uh, sad, sad ending for Littlefinger. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, I mean, I did enjoy that scene, you know, and I liked the reversal there, but it, it kind of left me a little bit empty because Littlefinger was one of my favorite characters. And then he, he meets this end without it ever really being clear what he's trying to do. Like, you can say, yes, he was maybe trying to sow dissension between the Starks. He was trying to marry Sansa. He never really articulates that in any concrete way. He really just sort of does this sort of sniping from the sidelines and then gets a dagger in the neck. Uh, and, you know, for a character character that's been you know seemed so decisive and had so many intricate plots that were so masterfully spread along the entire chessboard in the game of thrones universe to just kind of have this somewhat irrelevant end where he spends season six like just leaning up against the wall in the shadows and in the dining hall at winterfell and then like goes the way of nowhere you know th that alone bothered me you know this guy is the lord protector of the veil like he's got one of these great houses to run you know uh i guess you know sweet robin's a big player now Rob. Well, I don't know. Sweet Robin was oh for season seven uh, that he uh, got the Gendry treatment here in season seven. So we'll see what becomes of him. But Stephen, we've talked a lot about secession over the course of this season. What would be the secession at Winterfell where Littlefinger tried to imply, well, if if Arya kills you, then what does she become? Uh, oh, she'll be the Lady of Winterfell. Is Bran just totally out? He has renounced the Stark name for the Three-Eyed Raven name. At what point does Bran become the Lord of Winterfell? I think he said he was he was out of it, right? Like in, in he that just one, was like, in, no, I'm cool. I don't want any part of it. So yeah, I think, I if think anything happens to Sansa, he, just give it to Arya. I, th I got the sense that he may have even explicitly said something along those lines uh, earlier in the season, but maybe I'm forgetting. Maybe I'm misremembering it. Uh, yeah, I think I think Bran has has renounced his attachment to worldly things. He just wants to like creep on people uh, having sex, you know. Yeah, well, I was hoping that he was going to be popping up in the background with uh, John and Daenerys of like he's everywhere, just like he showed up at the wedding <laughs> of yeah. Rhaegar and Lyanna. I thought that he'd be showing yeah. up there, uh, you know, peeking in the shadows of John. Daenerys. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he'll definitely tune in, you know, next, you know, when he's got a spare moment. That'll be another one of those deleted scenes. Yeah, okay. Too hot for TV. Steven, let's talk about everything going on in King's Landing because that was the better part of, uh, you know, 40 minutes at least of the episode where we went to this big summit. We had all of these characters there to the point where there were some people there that I don't even know why that they were at this meeting. Was there any reason Brienne of Tarth was invited to this meeting? I guess just to get her out of Winterfell and like increase the tension there. I mean, I guess it really, so. but I'm not asking why, why the producers put her there. <laughs> what was yeah. her purpose in terms of this function of the Lannisters having a summit with the uh, Targaryen army? Well, I, I mean, I guess she Sansa had sent her there as her emissary, right? So theoretically, she was there to represent Sansa. Now, granted, John was there as well, so John would actually have authority there. But uh, I, you know, I, I didn't hate that. She was theoretically there to represent Sansa's interests. You know, there was a lot of like just like awkward silences and kind of glaring at each other. You know, you have all of these characters who have we've been apart from each other for so long coming together in this one place, and uh, you know, the, the, the mountains, the scene with the mountain yeah. and uh, uh, the hound. And Cooking Bowl is happening next season. Yeah, right? it's like going to it's, uh, it's happen. That was like a little preview. Yeah. And people are yelling at me about like that they needed somebody from the north to rep- represent. Jon Snow was there. Isn't he king in the north? <laughs> yeah, they had the king. Um, Sansa didn't necessarily know that. I mean, just in terms of like what she's actually doing there, it doesn't it doesn't not make sense that she's there. Uh, she just wasn't necess- you know re- yeah. really okay. required. I felt like they didn't need Theon there either, but we don't need to uh, get too bogged down uh with that so steven we saw cersei ultimately uh say that she was going to uh go for this truce eventually after danny comes in with the dragons and then they have this big demonstration where they take the white out of the box and okay uh cersei's like okay you convinced me all right all i need to know where where's Jon snow at if Jon snow is good then I'm totally on board with this. Jon Snow says, uh, look, I can't promise myself to two queens. I've already promised myself to Daenerys. Cersei says, you know what? That's it. I'm done. That's it. No deal. I'm leaving. Uh, And she goes and walks away. But as we'll find out later in the episode, Stephen, as she told us a week ago, Cersei never planned on honoring the deal anyway. Why did she balk at the deal with Jon Snow? I think to make it's like to, to convince them, right? It's exactly what she has said about the others, right? Oh, if you were to just immediately buy into this truce, I wouldn't trust you. She knows that they are not going to trust her if she's just like, yep, I'm on board. You know, she knows her own reputation. She knows what they expect out of her. So she has to display extreme selfishness and let them convince her. And in fact, when she does that thing with Jon Snow, she says, you are Ned Stark's son. I trust Ned Stark's son. You know, I think she was playing him. She was like, I mean, this is like sixth dimensional chess now that she's playing, (laughs) that she knew that they were going to bring back the white and that they were going to have this demonstration and it was going to be impressive and that she was going to then say to Jon Snow and put him on the spot and knew that Jon Snow wasn't going to be able to tell a lie and then she knew that Tyrion was going to then come into the room and then decide although in fairness that I did feel like that she was really uh, tipping her hand with letting Tyrion know that she was pregnant I, I, I'll buy that that she was sort of signaling to Tyrion that she was with child because she was 
pretty obvious about that. But then to ultimately then say, no, I was never going to go along with the plan. I just feel like she could have gone along with it. I mean, what were they going to say? No, we don't believe you. We're not going. We're not going north because that was too easy. Yeah, I think like I, I think that, you know, I think that I mean, I thought it was a, I mean, as if you were, I thought it was fun. I liked the misdirection. Um, but I, I also I bought it, you know, for Cersei, who has become really, really good at this political game. And everyone expects around her, I think, still has this idea that she's just sort of this willful amateur. And I think the viewers, too, have this idea that she's this sort of like vengeful amateur. And so when she's just like absolutely not and storms off, you know, and then waits for that, uh, gives them the opportunity to convince her. I mean, they've, you know, their whole freaking army is right, is traveled all this way. They're not just going to be like, oh, she left in a tiff. Let's peace out. You know, they have to make some kind of effort, you know, uh, um, and, you know, it, it didn't have she didn't have to know exactly what the white was. She knew they were coming down to show her something, you know, whatever it is, you know, you're on takeoff and then I'll you know handle it from there. But what did they ultimately buy here? So, OK, so now da- Daenerys's forces, they all move north. I mean, at, pretty quickly, they're going to realize, hey, uh, the Lannister army didn't come. Yeah, I think that's fine. They're busy fighting. You know, this relates perfectly to Survivor token sheens when oh boy. we let <laughs> the other tribe, you know, kill each other off. And then we swooped in and, and finished up the pieces. Classic, you know, move. They She's going to let these two big armies tear each other to pieces and then she can just move in. And, you know, Jamie's saying, like, what are you talking about? The Dothraki are there. And, you know, they how can we stand up to the Dothraki? There's going to be a lot less Dothraki. Uh, after, you know, the battle with the White Walkers. Yeah. Well, I did respect uh, Cersei's point of, like, really, what is the Lannister army going to do? I mean, the Lannister army yeah. couldn't even hold their own against some dragons, let alone uh, the army of the dead. So I kind of feel like that she did have a, a fair point there. But so Jamie ends up go- marching north by himself to join this army. Did you buy that, Stephen? <sighs> I mean, uh, at some point, you know, like, what is the thing, right? What is the tipping point for Jamie? We, I feel like this whole season has been Jamie being outraged, Jamie being outraged. And then something has got to give. And yes, seeing a living zombie, uh, I think might be, I mean, another living zombie after uh, uh, Sir Robert Strong, uh, seeing a living zombie like come chasing chasing at them. I think that's the point where you're like, you know what? We need to put our petty differences aside. So Stephen, but what is Jamie going to do? He's just going to fight alongside this Northern army. And do you feel like that? Is it over between him and Cersei? Well, something's going to get, you know, going to happen, right? I think we're all expecting some. Well, I thought we were going to expect that Jamie and Cersei to really come to blows tonight. And then she, I thought she gave the order to the mountain to Robert Strong, hey, take him out. And then nothing happened. Yeah, she kind of gave like a half gestured Robert Strong. And then I guess they, they are really in sync, right? Cersei and Robert Strong. You have to assume they're really in yeah, sync. She, she probably has the real signal and then the fake signal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's They've a, worked out all She's a real now. sang min when it comes to <laughs> signaling uh, what she really wants to have happen. Yeah, the cough is one thing, and uh, please, please, please is something else. Yeah, I mean, she really is the master of the uh, the fake out, right? I mean, she really is, has a lot of Sangmin tendencies. 
Yeah. Well, the, I, you know, I didn't really buy, you know, I, I liked, you know, how because the, the, the phoniness of that scene with Tyrion, the one that you're drawing, you know, that you're mentioning about how her like rubbing her belly and then Tyrion's like, you're pregnant. And then then she reverses her decision. That seems so fake to me. And so I was glad it really was fake. No, I, I do think that I, I hadn't really thought about it that way. And you, I, I do agree with what you're saying. That's what they were going for. <laughs> but I, I do believe that after that demonstration, when they brought the uh, the actual undead to her doorstep that she would have said, okay, you know what? I really, that wasn't going to convince me, but you, you really, t- you talked me into this. I liked it though. I mean, you know, the, she's, she, she played up the theater, you know, the walk away. That's like classic uh, door in the face. That's in like in like one of the classic uh, negotiating tactics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just after everything they've been through, I, I don't know who would have stood up and said that was too easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was too easy. All we had to do was bring a bunch of guys up to Eastwatch, bring back an undead person, and then lose a dragon in the process, and then come back, and then can then just show it to Cersei. Uh, something must be up. Here's what bo- you know. I was more bothered on the other side of these things, which is that like you know, Danny and John are like, oh shoot, Cersei hasn't agreed. Now there's nothing we can do about it. There's no way we can We're get this. Effed. Yeah. Why not? You've got your entire army sitting outside the gates. You've got your dragons here. Just take King's Landing. You know, the whole army is right there. Just take King's Landing, then go north. Yeah, I did feel like that Daenerys was particularly subdued. I mean, I guess that maybe Tyrion got in her head about, you know, you've got a really nasty temper, uh, Daenerys. Did anybody ever tell you about that with you? We need to (laughs) workshop that. She said almost nothing in the meeting. You would think that Daenerys might have been able to issue an ultimatum of like, okay, here's what we have on the table. If you don't go along with this... What we'll do is I come in with the dragons, we melt the Red Keep with you and all your army, then we go north and take on the Night's King without you, then I come back and be Queen of Westeros. I think she, I, I don't see why she just didn't do that anyway. Like, forget the threats about doing it. Just do it. Like, there's this. Like, there, I feel like this show has established this idea that like attacking King's Landing is this you know, the, the greatest moral violation that you can do. How else are they going to like win the empire if they don't at some point attack King's Landing? Right. It's not even like Cersei is like, well, look, I've got my wildfire everywhere. If anything happens to me, you know, all all I do is give the order that all of Westeros is annihilated. Trust me, you don't want any of that. Yeah, she's just like, "Uh, I don't think you'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't. And and they're like, all right, see you later. Uh, Should we fly out of here or should we take the boat? Yeah. All right, uh, Stephen, uh, a lot went on, a lot of reunions going on in all of uh, the different scenes. Uh, you mentioned the mountain and the hound uh, potentially uh, setting the stage for a Clegane Bowl down the road. We saw the hound and Brienne back together. Did you want the hound to mention to Brienne, I know someone who likes you? <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that. I really was. That would be it's, that would have been a great uh, little wrinkle there. Maybe, maybe too silly. I really was hoping that would happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, we touched on Tyrion and Cersei. Uh, how was that for you in terms of getting those two characters back on the screen at the same time? You know, knowing it was a blind or a ruse from Cersei, I liked it more because her remotely accepting what Tyrion was saying. I 
read as false. I mean, what did you think? I mean, it was exciting to uh, to see how it was going to uh, play out between the two of them. I I did like that they uh you know brought, like that she really did lay out a case with uh, what she was so angry about about how losing Tywin and we always saw Tywin as sort of a heel in terms of what he was doing to Tyrion, but she felt like that that opened the door for the vultures to come in, and she really did draw a through line in terms of the death of Marcella and Tommen were directly related. She's like, I, you know, I don't even care that you didn't kill Joffrey because of your actions. I lost my two other children uh it was your fault you shipped marcella off to dorn and that's what happened to her there and then basically set off this chain reaction for you know she she probably could blame herself a little bit more i get the marcella thing the tommen thing a little bit harder you know she did invite the whole high sparrow and the uh faith militant thing (laughs) upon herself i mean that's really uh you know shirking the blame over to Tyrion on the tommen thing yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that you know, Cersei's Cersei's strength is not her introspection and and her self criticism. Um, did you like the debate? You know, about lying versus honesty. You know, John, when when enough people make enough false promises, then words stop meaning anything. You know, then you have Cersei on the other hand saying, "I will say literally anything I have to to get my way." Did did you? I thought it was a fun theme to revisit because as much as uh, Jon Snow and we saw this play out with Theon where uh, Theon said I was always in this battle of was I a Greyjoy or was I a Stark where little does Jon know that he has a uh, a similar uh, parenting conundrum going on of am I a Targaryen or am I a Stark that the Stark part of himself that he feels so connected to is this idea of you know your word is your bond but sometimes uh as uh ned stark really could never get his uh head around for uh no no beheading pun intended it was really that you know sometimes that it's okay to lie to protect uh the people that you care about yes yes yeah that was nice i mean i i you know the theon stuff for me was really the low point of the entire episode yeah, well, let's talk obs- about it and yeah. uh let, for, let's just combine in uh you're on again i don't really know why they needed theon like at the point where they lost yara i mean i guess he was there to represent pike uh this was uh really kind of a, i guess a, a summit of all of the kingdoms of westeros so you had theon there again i, I whose interest does theon represent he is, is not is in no way way an ambassador of pike but sure uh he's there just really so euron can taunt him and then he has that conversation with john which i thought was interesting but then theon decides i need to go get yara so he goes and finds a few of the uh iron islanders that are hanging about and they're getting ready to go rape and pillage. And Theon basically says that he is going to, uh, let's go rescue Yara. Guy tells him, no way. And they get into a fist fight. And I felt like that this, the fight really turned awkwardly. Yeah, basically, Theon is completely beaten, bloodied on the ground. You know, this guy is like just feels bad. 
mad at how badly he's beating Theon. Then he grabs him one more time and keeps trying to knee him in the junk. Theon, of course, has no junk. And uh, that is the turning point that allows Theon to, I guess, use his superhuman junklessness and uh, destroy this giant bruiser Iron Islander Viking. Uh, yeah. not, well, not my favorite moment. It seemed like that maybe this bruiser uh, might have had a heart condition where he did seem <laughs> like he was getting gassed from beating Theon up so much. Yeah. I, I have described every Game of Thrones battle is uh, a bit like a 1980s Hulk Hogan wrestling match where one side just gets pummeled to the point and then at the very end sort of like turns around but this was this was exactly that where yes. it was like the guy goes to kick theon in the crotch a number of times and theon is just like oh no <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't work i mean it was akin to where uh marty mcfly is wearing a bulletproof vest and griff tannen punches him in the stomach and hurts his hand it's like it doesn't hurt him to, like he's like he has no ill effect from uh, kicking Theon in the groin just because it's not hurting Theon and that sort of just then Theon uh, mounts up the uh, intestinal fortitude at that point and uh, the guy just goes down uh, quickly I guess he might have been gassed I think that maybe there could have been some other uh, health issues at play with this guy because it it just does not make sense how quickly the tide turned yeah I I, I mean someone uh, someone tweeted to me that it was like a superhero moment as though Theon was bit uh, bitten by a radioactive eunuch and like now he had those powers um but it was it was uh you know it, it just just and then all of a sudden like all of the iron islanders are like yeah yara, yara, you know, yara. When, like, you know, yeah when when you know a minute before they had like just want you know wanted to flee as far away as possible uh i i didn't love this moment i mean i i hear people liking theon's redemption and that he's that he's seeking out some way to redeem himself this kind of like silly wrestling-esque fight followed by a completely illogical turn of of uh, faction by the iron islanders i didn't didn't do it for me yeah i guess steven you know i don't get in a lot of fist fights but when you go to knee a guy in the crotch and then he doesn't yeah. react to it, it. Yeah. you say yeah. wait a second what's going on here and then you just are stunned this keep is- kneeing him and tell you know tell yeah i mean yeah. yeah, that guy was really committed to his knee in the crotch maneuver. Yeah. I mean, maybe was he confused? Like, uh, I mean, I guess he knew Theon. Is, it's like he'd say, wait, are you wearing a cup? What's going on? I don't understand. <laughs> and then Theon just uh, took advantage of that. Uh, the other big thing dealing with the Iron Islanders is that Euron Greyjoy says, oh, you know what? Can these guys swim? No, I'm out of here. Which I thought was a little bit of weak sauce from Euron Greyjoy, who had been made up to be this, uh, you know, guy who's not really afraid of any thing and uh, later on we find out that no he's just leaving to go ferry the golden company in steven did you like uh that turnabout i mean i liked i mean when euron walked off i was really dejected because this was a guy who'd been built up to be this sort of epic villain you know we've been waiting uh ever since we had that great shipboarding moment for more epic villainy from him and then it was like uh, he's just gonna leave and like that's gonna be it for euron but i'm glad that it was just a deception but what you know to your point earlier about like all of the the 70 chess here like what if Jon snow had been like yes they're excellent swimmers you know like Mm -hmm. what is your on doing that they situation. They knew. They knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that I, I guess all the stories had been true. And maybe I guess that there was uh, some talk that the undead can't swim. So that's what they were off to go do. So uh, do you think we're going to see the Golden Company? 
I guess so. I guess they're going to be a big part of, um, you know, of, of the next season. Yeah, I, I was uh, really excited that we were finally getting the uh, mercantile banking supply, you know, <laughs> spinning, out, spinning out this season. Yeah. Well, it is a lot to handle now that we have only six episodes of Game of Thrones left total. That's it. Yeah. You would expect some of those are going to be supersized like this episode was. But we have a lot to do in six episodes of the show. And just to put this into perspective, this season seven, which seemed to go by very, very quickly, was seven episodes. So imagine yeah. this season, but one less. And that's what we have right. left of all of Game of Thrones to deal with everything with the Night King everything with uh with Cersei and 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 now we're going to bring the gold company in so a lot to figure out in terms of how this plays out which threat becomes neutralized first i always thought that we were going to sort of settle the westeros stuff and then have the climactic battle with uh the night king it seems like that the night king stuff is going to come to a head before we get to the stuff going on back at king's landing yeah i agree i totally thought that this season was going to be the end of the political battles and the next season would be just you know uh dragons on ice zombies for six episodes but i Ultimately, that would be kind of boring, right? You need that political stuff. You need the human stuff to keep the interest, to keep the character, the interest of the characters. And, um, you know, you're right. It looks like they're going to have the the war against the White Walkers and then whatever, you know, however, uh, there, there will be some sort of political shakeout. You know, I think I think everyone expected uh, the board to be a lot emptier after this season. And and who do we lose? We lost one big player in Littlefinger and we lost uh, Thoros of Mirror. Yeah, and, uh, and and of course Viserion. Yes, and uh, and uh, you say Littlefinger. You mentioned Littlefinger. Yeah, Littlefinger and Thoros of Mir. Yeah, <laughs> and potentially uh, uh, Beric and uh, poten- mm. potentially. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Potentially. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Stephen. So Jon Snow went all of season seven without finding out his uh, parenting lineage which I feel like is a dropped ball. Why did we find it out at the end of season six to not even have Jon Snow find that out in the entirety of season seven? Yeah, yeah. I think everyone was waiting for that. I heard a lot of people uh, online have been saying, like, if, if, if Jon doesn't learn his parentage by the end of this season, uh, we're going to be disappointed. I guess they're going to be disappointed. Uh, I, it, didn't, it doesn't bother me. Honestly, it doesn't bother me. Like, he'll probably, you know, he'll learn his parentage next season. It'll be a source of conflict between him and Danny. Somehow they'll resolve it. Uh, and then they both die. Yeah. What do you think of Jon Snow as Aegon Targaryen? Uh, can you wrap your head around that? Yeah. I mean, does he have to go by Aegon now? Like, that seems kind of weird. Like, this late into his life. Can he, be, can, he, can he just say, call me Jon? Could he be a Jon Targaryen? <laughs> yeah yeah maybe that's maybe you know he is the is he even also the heir to the iron throne because he you know robert's rebellion yes from what, I, from what I understand there. yes i i do feel like that it was in the secession order that the children of older brother Rhaegar uh, take precedence over the interests of uh, the younger children in Daenerys. Oh, I'm not. I'm not disputing that. Oh. That that like by the Targaryen lineage, he's the rightful king. But like the Targaryens don't have the the throne. Like the actual heir to the throne is, I guess, Cersei or Cersei's child. 
Right, or, but or but I do think that you know, in the same way that Robert Baratheon came in, and you know, I think that when you sack the city, I think you get to uh, the, the secession order is sort of out the window. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Though, well, anyway, whatever. We, we can we can dispute this uh, later. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. All right, Steve. I want to start to open this up to questions from the audience. Uh, I want to take uh, you know as as many as we can get to here tonight before we get into our deep dive coming up with Josh on Monday, and then ultimately our voicemails coming up uh, later on. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is uh, a question from Hannah. Why did they name him Aegon when Rhaegar already had an Aegon son? Oh, was Aegon his first son? Is that right? I, uh, hey, yeah. Oh, yeah. George Zeron- Foreman had uh, seven kids named George. Some yeah. of them were girls. Yeah, I guess that's right. Aegon, uh, yeah. That's, was Aegon still alive when John was born? Uh, the first Aegon? Uh, I don't know if that timeline is clear. I'm not sure yeah. exactly. Uh, I would say, uh, yeah, because we don't know because Rhaegar is not there. So I'm not sure if the sack of King's Landing had happened at that point. Yeah. Uh, so hard, hard to say. Um, maybe, you know, he's just naming him after his other his other son. Yes. Yeah. I guess he, what, you can't call him Aegon Jr. I mean, it's uh, maybe Aegon <laughs> 2. Maybe they yeah. could have gone with that. Steven, now, what did you think of the casting of Rhaegar Targaryen uh, to be able to lay eyes on him? Uh, I thought that he did look a lot like uh, Viserys. Yeah, he looked exactly like Viserys, which I guess is good, right? He should look like their it brother. It wasn't the same actor, brother. was it? I mean, I don't think so, but uh, it really looked a lot like him. That would be weird if they used the exact same actor. Yeah, but he's older. Um, he's like five years yeah. older. Maybe, uh, maybe it was that I, guy's brother. You, well, I'm kind of waiting for someone a little bit more badass, right? To be uh, to be Rhaegar. Were, were you were you into this guy, or were you disappointed by him? Wasn't super into this guy because I yeah. mean that if from the things that we've heard about, you know, Robert Baratheon talking about how you know he uh, took down Rhaegar Targaryen. You would think that you know he might be look a little bit more like a badass. I guess I don't know what you I was can- expecting in terms of a harp playing uh, songbird. Yeah, you know, you can have long blonde hair and still be able to be a good a good warrior. Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, but maybe uh, they, they, that's what they were going for. Uh, but some people are saying I look identical. So uh, yeah, but he was clearly like more more muscly than than, than Viserys was. This is from Dave, who says the sack of King's Landing uh, is before John is born. Uh, Ned says this is in the Tower of Joy. So uh, that so I guess he was the replacement Aegon. Also, not you know, not for nothing, but Rhaegar, I, I, you know, Rhaegar, I don't think is the one who names him, right? Lyanna names him, so you know, maybe she was uh, honoring uh, the other Rhaegar's other dead son. It's not like Rhaegar named two kids Aegon or Lyanna. Weird name. though that you would name. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's the, weird. Yeah, name the your kid with the guy that you know his uh, other, his yeah. wife that he left. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he made a promise to like, okay, here, just for, you know, I feel really bad about what's going on, so. Here's what we got to do. Maybe they had a lot of in, engraved like baby clothes or whatever. You know, they had all the stuff with with uh, they had Aegon a lot of monogrammed Aegon yeah, stuff. Uh, you think? Yeah, they had the monogrammed Aegon stuff. They wanted they want she. You know, the war was in turm. The land was in turmoil. She she needed. She wanted to reuse uh, some of that stuff. Okay. Uh, Steve Davis is asking. You think that Cersei poisoned Tyrion with the wine? Did you think that? I mean, if she's playing six dimensional chess, she's like, okay, let Tyrion in. Uh, but I guess she could have just had the mountain kill him. She didn't have to go crazy. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, even though she does stay up at night and dream about how she's going to uh, murder her enemies. 
Yeah, well, if you know, if she made we don't know what, what her plan for Tyrion is. I mean, clearly her plan uh worked, right? Where she used Tyrion's guilt against him. Steven, we are now having season seven in the rear view uh, mirror. What do you think overall of season seven? Too soon to uh, process? Uh, yeah, I think so, right? I'll be really curious to hear what you and Josh say on the deep dive. You know, I really felt like the first half of season seven was table setting and I was so excited for now that the table was set for all these big things to happen. It seemed like the second half of season seven was also table setting. You know, it seems like now we've got a really big, really set table with like every possible uh, piece of cutlery and dishware you could ask for. And uh, now something big has got to happen. How did you feel about it? You know, I really did feel like that the first half of season seven was almost flawless and I was uh, really admiring that the level to which the show was executing where I felt like that the first hour was a little slow but I felt like that the show was uh, was really delivering and I almost feel like it peaked in the middle uh, around the loot train and then I felt like that then the back half even though it was table setting it also felt very rushed that we went along with this plan to sort of rope Cersei into having this truce and we never answered that question that you talked about of you know uh, why why not just take over King's Landing what would have been the real consequence of doing that if they would have lost the hearts and minds of the people of King's Landing where the characters sort of were behaving in ways that sort of advanced the plot but didn't really hold a lot of water so there were certainly uh, you know amazing spectacles that we saw over uh, these last three episodes or so that I felt like that just in terms of the pacing, it just felt still a little wonky to me. Yeah, I mean, and there were some of these plots like the Winterfell plot, you know, which just kind of seemed to sap some of the momentum. Uh, I know I agreed with you, of course, about the uh, uh, Notions 11 scheme. It was a little bit too convoluted for its own good almost. But we also did get a lot of, like you're saying, really, really great moments all season long. You know, you had the Lutrain battle. You had the... Uh, that, that that great, really, you know, really exciting scene last, uh, or I guess the whole episode basically last week of Beyond the Wall, just that like fantastic ice ice sequence. And uh, then then you, you had some great stuff this week with the wall coming down. Okay. Steven, anything else you want to touch on after just watching the finale tonight? I don't think so. That that I feel like we hit all the the big stuff, and I'm sure I'll regret you know something I said or something I didn't say. But I will I will uh, look forward to hearing you and uh, Josh Josh you know dig deeper. Okay. Well, Stephen, let me commend you on the outstanding job that you've done. This has been such a pleasure to go through all of these episodes after the fact and talk them through with you this summer. So uh, thank you uh, so much for your hard work. Uh, we uh, usually get to only talk about Survivor and uh, a couple other things along the way, but this was very fun. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I was uh, terrified to sit in uh, for Josh, given what and you know a, an expert he is, literally a professional Game of Thrones expert. Um, but it's been a, a real joy for me to do that, for me to interact with people, commenting um, on on social media and then on the Post Show Recaps page. And so that you know, thank everyone for listening and for you know enduring my occasional mispronunciations because you know of the the books first thing. I said Rhaegar instead of Rhaegar. I feel pretty bad about hey, that. Gilly did um, too. Don't you. worry about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, thank you, everybody. Yeah. All right. Uh, Steven, you like the hashtag Ajon? I think you have to go with brand splaining. Brand splaining. Okay. Yeah.
<laughs> Overruled. Uh, yeah. splaining. Uh, Roxanne is asking, uh, I think that uh, Cersei's not even pregnant. Uh, what do you think of that? I mean, I, I kind of speculated about that last, last, I think when we first got that, that maybe she wasn't. I think at this point she is. I think she's she's got the little baby bump. I don't think it's a pillow. You know, that would be, I, I guess with the whole Arya Sansa thing, a lot of that was sort of a setup for a ruse. You know, we're seeing a lot of deceptive practices by the producers in terms of, you know, them leading us down one path. And uh, it was actually a trick all along. Certainly that was the entire plot of this episode. It wouldn't be. I wouldn't be shocked to see that, but at this point, I think that's an established thing. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk all that through. I could get really wound up about Winterfell uh, again, but I will uh, defer at this time. <laughs> and hopefully we'll talk to Josh and maybe Josh can make sense of it for me on the deep dive. Thanks so much to all of you guys who uh, joined us live all season long and even uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, make sure you don't miss the next episode uh, with Josh Wiggler on our deep dive. Postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes and Stephen, we should have more information on the Throners coming up as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that. All right, everybody, have a great night. Take care. Bye.